0: Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, ambassador of 805 Connect, and your host for this 805 conversation where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. Thanks to our podcasting partner, String Press, for this great studio, and to Patrick, my co host.
1: Hey, Patrick. Hey, Mark. Always a pleasure.
0: Patrick, today we're talking with Guy Smith, who is member of the faculty over at Antioch University. Morning, Guy. Morning. So, I've got to tell you, Guy and I go back,
2: I don't know, 25, 30 years? At least. At least 25 years.
0: At least 25 years. Guy was um, a professor up at City College for 34 years. I, I, yeah, I know you were an English and communications guy, but I always knew you as the digital media guy.
2: Yeah, I started off uh, um, in English, English literature, and uh, did that for um, a number of years at uh, City College. Uh, probably, I want to say, 10 to 15 years. And, uh, you know, the great irony of being uh, an English teacher is is that typically you go into the field because you love to read okay and then you have to read the worst stuff ever <laughs> ever written and and what happens is that you just by the time you're done reading all those student papers oh gosh you want to go out and uh, either shoot yourself or have a stiff one or several and uh So, I kind of fell out of love with that. Um, I, you know, originally went into it thinking uh, there might be a career in writing, but, you know, I wound up teaching English, and I did that. And and actually, I think uh, I really enjoyed it. And I, uh, you know, this last weekend bumped into three or four students who said, you know, you made a big impact on my life. You Um, got to love that. Yeah. uh, You know, and you taught me how to write, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's rewarding. But when... uh, You know, kind of the digital revolution came around, I want to say, mid to early 80s. I, my father had one of the first Apple computers. Mm -hmm. uh, He had an Apple, too. It's actually still still sitting on my desk. No kidding. Yeah. And, um, you know, he gave this to me and... uh, and you know just that clicked and i went you know this is this is you know a typewriter on steroids right um and that's exactly what it was and um so i get, got, got you know involved with that and I obviously saw its its value in terms of being a writer but i immediately sure. saw the value sure. uh, outside of that and um i can remember uh, lying in bed one night early 80s and um and i read it it was a time magazine article and they said you, you know there's a way that you can actually have your computer talk to other computers
1: mm, mm, and you know, this
2: mm. light went on in my head i said my god you know I could. Th- this could you know i could not have to write all this stuff i could steal it from somebody <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's where you went <laughs> that's immediately where i went so i
2: <laughs> i went out our show's about plagiarism today <laughs> that's right <laughs> So I uh, went out and got a 300 baud modem.
0: The, Acu- the acoustic coupler where acoustic you put the
2: phone into it? Acoustic coupler uh, where you put the phone in. Google it. that, kids. Made yeah. famous by war games. That's the right. Yes. yes. Yeah. And, you know, you could – and I remember uh, connecting to my first uh, BBS bulletin board. Sure. Sure, uh, sure. And you could watch – Where were you living? I was living downtown. Santa in Barbara. Santa Barbara. Okay. Yeah. You born and raised here? No, I was, uh, uh, I grew up in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh. And uh, came to school uh, in California and uh, realized that you could go outside in the summertime. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> so I decided to stay. Yeah.
0: So tell me, so the BBS, so I, I remember my first time doing that. Sure. And, some, uh, and the screen for says, Can I help you? And I went, Whoa, shoot, there's someone, there's <laughs> yeah. a live human on the other end.
2: Right. Did you have something like that happen? Yeah. You know, I think uh, it was, uh, this is back when The the Well. Yeah,
0: right. uh, It's 83, 84, 85.
2: Right. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember. But BBSs were big. Um, And then uh, I I was able to, you know, start getting into some more sophisticated um, uh, databases. And uh, the big one back then was called Dialog. Yep. Sure. Dialog, which was. I think it was Boeing uh who owned it and Dialog was up in uh Silicon Valley and they would aggregate uh basically databases
0: and you're a teacher at this time just starting your teaching career
2: um uh, just finishing my english career got it got it <laughs> um and uh so you know I said wow you know the the you know the, you, there's a lot of information here and uh and just to back up, you know, as a graduate student uh, uh, finishing my master's, you know, would they t- one of the one of the courses that you take, first course in a graduate program is a bibliography course, where where they teach you to use the library. And you there's think,
0: a class in that. Oh yeah. Oh okay. And they, there's and a they, class in everything. Yeah,
2: they would they you know they would t- turn it into a. Treasure hunt every week, you know. Go find uh, this oh, particular. Sure. And you know, I, you know, as a college student, you think you know how to use the library, and I didn't know what I didn't know. And, sure. You know, there's there's so much to know about using information and accessing it, etc. And so I get very interested and excited about the use of information. And um, then this computer came along, and. And uh, we realized that you could access vast amounts, of vast amounts of information instantly. And so I wrote a grant um, to state of California to start teaching this. Uh, really? Yeah. And was that
0: sounds like one of the first.
2: Yeah. And it was actually funded. Uh, now, where were you at this time? Uh, Santa Barbara City College. Got it. And it was funded, and we bought some equipment, and hooked them up, and started teaching students how to do this. And um, wow. then, uh, then I started having people ask me if I could do searches for them.
0: So and this is still we're still pre Google.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, big time pre Google. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, this, I mean, Google was uh, I think mid nineties. Right. Yeah. So you. So um, anyway. Uh, so I started doing searches for people. Um, and that expanded, and then somebody, Fred Bellamy, who had a company named InfoMart in uh, Santa Barbara, approached me and asked me if he wanted me to acquire that, and I did. And with that came a whole bunch of lists of clients uh, to do uh, information on demand. Like what,
1: like what, like statistics, or like what kind of information?
2: Everything you can imagine. Patent searches. Oh, Who would yeah, you do them
1: yeah, for? Yeah. Pardon? Who would you do those for?
2: Everybody you can think of. Uh, large and small. Individuals and corporations. So it's a
0: paid search company? It was. Paid to
2: search. Paid to treat. We had actually a number of things. You know, obviously, like you could do uh, patent searches. You could do literature searches. You could do search for expert witnesses. Uh, you could do financial information. And this is back when nobody even knew what a uh, what a you know computer was, much less a a
1: search engine. <laughs> right, yeah. So yeah. Th- search engine. So this
0: was a side business outside of the school. Correct. So what's interesting, Patrick, about Guy is he is a consummate networker. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, he and I uh, started a really a networking uh, nonprofit called scamp the yeah. south coast alliance of media professionals but he's always been very connected to the business community and uh and networked like crazy and so there's what what is it in your dna that you like networking so much because now you just talked about networking computers and you're about networking
2: uh what, you like people like making connections like uh getting to know uh, a broad variety of people and uh I see the value in, uh, in building, sustaining, and uh, and maintaining networks. So uh, uh, it's just something that's always come naturally t- to me, and um, I, something I, I've always held out there. Is uh, just a characteristic that uh, maybe I think had that's, value.
0: that's I think that's why we connected so well on yeah, Scamp because I think so too. it was um, so. For the listener, might remember I had an uh, animation company called Wavefront, animation software company. Sure. And you were building out a lot. I mean, you went from Apple II's to when when we worked with you, it was a whole lab of Silicon Graphics equipment, and we gave you millions of dollars worth of uh, correct. software uh, that you know has gone on to the School of Media Arts, and all of that has done fantastic. Um, but in all of that, you've also you were uh, seminal in getting business education up at City College as well. Isn't that right? Well. Um, I mean, with the Scheinfeld Center and those kinds of things.
2: Yeah, I, I, I took a lead in developing the Entrepreneurship Center uh, up there. And uh, that's turned into a very successful, uh, a very successful. Uh, yeah, we had Melissa et- on the yeah, show. And, entity. And yeah, Melissa's great. Yeah, she is. She's, she's, she's dynamite. Um, but I, I guess it goes back to uh, my predilection that. Uh, education needs to be more about it, uh, getting people somewhere in a really applied place and um, that students shouldn't come out of there with uh, a degree in Descartes and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and be, uh, be you know, really interesting people and broke. So um, I've always always try to engage uh, the applied side of the world into whatever I'm doing uh, in an educational sense. And, uh, for example, right now, um, I teach a class uh, at Antioch called Ad- Advertising and Culture. And
0: Advertising in the culture?
2: Advertising and culture. Advertising and, and it's an interesting class, and you can take that class any way you want. I mean, you could what does turn, that mean? Well, you could turn it into a very theoretical uh, mm. class on semiotics and, and, uh, and turn it into something really ethereal. Or it can be a class where uh, people actually do something and might lead somewhere which gets their uh, enthusiasm up.
0: So it sounds like you're doing the latter, the applied uh, that's, part.
2: That's correct. So we're talking about what's the role of advertising in our, in our culture. How does it reflect our culture? How does it impact our culture? Uh, and one of the two of the things I asked him to do uh, which really kind of reflects my philosophy is that uh, one of the things I have to do is go out and do an informational interview with somebody in the advertising industry okay. where they have to go out and make a contact, meet them, set up an interview and, and learn something about the advertising industry. And students get internships out of this they get jobs they get romances uh, (laughs) and and so it's about doing something rather than just what's the
0: second thing so you do you said they do two things
2: um the second thing is they do a project and uh, they do an ad campaign and they create two ads
0: fictional or do they go do a pro bonus for someone like a non-profit in town
2: they have their choice got it so it can be a fictional product or it can be a product they have or it could be somebody else's And they have to write two ads uh, for two different countries. So how you would how you would advertise this in Japan versus how you
0: would advertise it? So that's where you pull the culture part in,
2: right? Right. And then they have to create the ad, do it, and then put an ad campaign together. How would and I give them a budget of five hundred thousand dollars. Okay. How would you spend five hundred thousand dollars? What uh, what particular medium would you use uh, and why and what are the demographics of that? And really ask him to kind of lay out what this campaign is. Anyway, I'm, I'm telling you this as a illustration of, you know, my philosophical bias toward an applied world rather mm-hmm. than uh, a theoretical and academic world.
0: It's int- I, I did not know you were teaching that class. And you probably don't know that I'm working with the world's original advertising agency. Started 150 years ago. And I'm working with them now in New York uh, on a six month project. And I worked with McCann World Group Uh uh, four years ago for a three year project. And I didn't know anything about the ad business six years ago. And I got dumped right into Madison. I felt like I was on the set of Mad Men every time I went to New York. Uh, minus the alcohol, that's sure. that's not there, <laughs> and cigarettes, and yeah. cigarettes, yeah. but uh, and the groping, uh, but um, it, it, it's fascinating. I mean, uh, that would I would think be required watching for your students.
2: Why don't you come? Uh, why don't you come talk to my class? Yeah, I will. Yeah, you want I to? will. I'd love to. Um, for the I,
1: listener out there, that was some networking just done. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <That's
2: right.
0: laughs> the uh, I'm I am absolutely fascinated with advertising mm-hmm. and the culture of the agency not necessarily I, I love good ads but i'm more now interested in the um environment where these ideas are created Yeah. and to the point of uh the research the cultural bias um, uh, we got pulled in on a project a year ago with a company i won't name that um they had misstepped. This this brand had misstepped very bad in doing their ads uh, the way they played in Brazil and Russia specifically. Yeah. Uh, cultural insensitivity that they were completely unaware of. Yep. And now, when you look at advertising and you look at a global market, when you're doing something, you're we tend to be so. I'm thinking U.S. biased and. I'm so glad to hear that they've got to do it in two different countries because it's
2: completely different. Oh, you, you have to have localization uh, as an ad agency. And it's, not,
0: and it's not localization on language. No,
2: not at all. No. Uh, one of the things, uh, you know, I don't want to turn this into uh, an academic lecture. But uh,
0: well, talking about advertising business yeah, yeah. And, and how we understand how to because it gets back to you. You have a core competency in basic in communications, right. which is right on point. So yeah. keep going, professor. So <laughs> uh,
2: uh, Gert Hofstetter uh, has something called dimensions of culture. How do, can give me that? Hofstetter, name? H-O-F-S-T-E-D-E-S. OK. And you if you look up dimensions of culture, you'll see them. And he has seven or eight dimensions of culture and I'll just real simply one of them is individualism versus collectivism and if you are and you know this Mark that if you are in uh, many countries in Asia it's really about the group yeah collectivism it's about the family it's about face this concept of face Yeah. and it's about the concept of not standing out being part of the group. And so uh, you want advertising that speaks to the group, that speaks to your belonging in the group, and doesn't uh, focus on the individual versus advertising in uh, Western countries, specifically the United States, where, you know, the quintessential form of advertising uh, that I think of is the Marlboro Man. Mm. You know, who mm. is the individual, the rugged individual, guy who won the West and stands alone. You'll never see the Marlboro Man ever talk to anybody. Uh, and he doesn't need anybody. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and so you take that dimension, individualism, collectivism, and how does that translate into all kinds of advertising? Which
0: is about a call to action to get people to do something.
2: Right. Right. So
0: you're, you're trying to get an individual to click on a button to buy something where in the collectivist. Well,
2: I think you're still trying to get a call to action. But um, the, the collectivist, you, you appeal to uh, their very, very different kinds of emotions than the individualist. And in, in advertising, is always about appealing to something Um, Emotional. In the affective domain rather than the cognitive domain. People do not buy things because they think it's a better product or because they think that it's going to do something for them. It's all about what's happening down in an affective domain. So it's fear, it's belonging, it's, you know, humor, it's sex. It's always about that. So back to, you know, that Hofstetter is, you know, what kinds of emotions – appeal to a collectivist society versus what kinds of emotions appeal to the individualist society and that's just one dimension there you
0: said there were eight of them yeah, yeah. Eight of,
2: you know there's how, how do you how do you deal with authority
1: um, not well
2: yeah <laughs> what's what's your attitude what long-term orientation short-term orientation high context low context is so and you take all those and you begin to see how the difference in advertising by culture appeals to these things. And the com- companies that do it well, do it extraordinarily well, but the days of taking one ad and spreading over the world are gone if they ever existed. Well, that's
0: the challenge for these global agencies is mm-hmm. they come up with a, there's that high concept, the strategy, here's, here's the brand strategy, do all of our research, everything that we've done, and here's the idea. You know, it's uh, the Coca-Cola ad is the the sure. perfect, right? You know, I don't teach the world to sing, all of that. Yet how it gets applied market by market becomes the real challenge. How do we roll? And then the, the guy in Bombay says, those cats in New York have no idea why we're drinking Coke. Right. That's not why we drink Coke or whatever it is. That's so right. um, it, it I, is a huge <laughs> challenge. And then if you take that on to... We reject adver- as consumers, we're rejecting advertising. We have pop-up blockers. We have, I mean, all of these things where the ads are trying to get into our brain to try to influence us to do that call to action. What, so you're on the cutting edge of this teaching people. What, what's, what do you think's working? What are you teaching people that works now?
2: Repetition. <sighs> Repetition. Repetition is a huge one. It's just... You are going to remember the message that you have been bombarded with over and over again. And a lot of times, uh, you know, there are lots of strategies. There's not a single strategy to. Right. uh, To work. Well, I
0: mean, it's tough now, right? Because we've got, you know, the number of impressions, you know, is is uh, is exponential, you know, with our our phones and TV and second screens and and all of that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, uh, a huge part of it is getting above the clutter. So there's this uh, model called AIDA, A-I-D-A.
0: A-I-D-A?
2: A-I-D-A. What does that stand for? Attention, attention Interest, Desire, Action. So uh, number one is how do I get someone's attention? Well, you get someone's attention a whole bunch of different ways, typically by doing something unusual. Mm. And if you look at the uh, Super Bowl ads that are coming up, here next week. Just run that uh, filter through as you watch them, because they're living in clutter. Not only are they living in clutter, they're living in the world of the digital video recorder, Right. Uh, where right. People, people fast, fast forward, forward it, through yeah. it. Um, so we have to do something that gets people's attention, that's unusual. And you're seeing them more and more and more.
0: So on fast forwarding, have you been to Tokyo? No. So in Tokyo, you land a couple of hours outside of the city and... I've been there. Okay. And you you take the train into the city. It's a bullet train into the city. And you go in these tunnels and they have uh, LEDs on the inside of the tunnel. That when you're going by yeah. as fast as you can, you can read the ads. It's animated, yeah. And it's like they're they're like perfect. Like how have they figured this out that I can read it perfectly and we're going, you know, 90 something miles an hour? And I was like, okay. It then so what I said was if someone could figure out how to have subliminal messages in their ad, so when you're fast forwarding on TiVo, you can still you see a, yet another message. What do you mean if? <laughs>
2: <laughs> the, the whole subliminal message thing is still d- d- debate whether that really occurs it, it does occur whether it's effective or not it's that's really still debatable so, so let's
0: let's bring this back to the, 805 and small ahead. business for a second cuz i'm thinking of the the person who's listening to this uh, just statistically, and demographically, they're small business owners. They've got four employees. They're, you know, they're working hard to get attention to rise above the club. They're exceptionally
1: good looking. It, well, of all course, of our, all of our listeners
0: are exceptionally good looking. Look in the mirror right now right. And, and prove that. Uh, send us a picture. Um, how to? And you know, they're not used to working with agencies. And in fact, the ad agencies in this town in the 805 region, I've learned through 805 Connect most don't have clients in the region most of their clients are outside the region because the budgets in the region are too small yeah. for them so they've got to go outside yet the person who's listening lives in the 805 half of our listeners how do they how do they get do you call it ada
2: aida yeah ada that's that. There are lots of different models for uh, advertising. That just happens to be one that. Uh, well, I mean, I,
0: I like that. It makes me think of the funnel, right? Yeah, that that's like. That's exactly get, right. Right, it's, it's I've the got, sales funnel. Exactly. It, it it I actually like that a little better than I'm going to adopt that. Thank you. Um, yeah. how how does that small? I mean, do you get small
2: businesses and they're learning how to? Well, I'm not in the advertising business, uh, and I don't have an agency. So. But you
0: work with businesses, and you mm-hmm. you know you you see. You see that a lot. I mean, how does someone apply that big thinking to their
2: small business? I wish I had a good answer for you, um, and I and I don't. But, uh, you know, the, in the 805 areas, there's just so few uh, media vehicles, uh, and there's fewer uh, still after the news press implosion. Right. Um, so, you know, there, we've got some print uh, we've got some radio
0: have you done studies on what's most effective right now in 20 2015 2016.
2: no i have not I have, have
0: you not. seen or you guys study that at all because I'm, I'm curious i mean is it buying banners on on Fa- i mean is facebook ads well we, we know
2: social media um, we know social media works and social media works well for small businesses on tight budgets so uh, if I had to, uh, if I were in that, I've, that's where I'd put my uh, put my money. You know, putting ads on KEYT. you you know, the famous uh, adage on uh, advertising is, I I know I'm wasting half my budget. I just don't know which half. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've, I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. Are yeah. Your
1: guy when you when your students you bring them into class and you start kind of uh, communicating to them this idea of, of clutter or this idea of, of any of these ideas, are they this group of students that you're seeing these days who have grown up immersed in it? You know, who have grown up just completely. You know, they've they've had the internet their entire lives essentially. Um, does this does this seem shocking to them? Are you are you pulling back the curtain of the Wizard of Oz, or is this, or do they already know? Do they already feel like like what you're saying is obvious?
2: Uh, there's, a, there's, there's a saying I'm very fond of, and it's the saying is, fish will be the last to discover water. <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <What's>, <laughs> how's the water today, okay, boys? What's water?
2: <laughs> and, yeah. and they're swimming in this yeah, vast ocean of mm-hmm, media, mm-hmm. and most of them don't uh, reflect upon it.
1: They don't realize they've been being sold to.
2: Yeah, well, I think they have this vague idea they've been being sold to, but uh, they don't really reflect too much on it. Do they? Because yeah,
1: do they realize why they make the choices they do when it no. comes to their purchasing power? No. no.
2: I mean, I I, I think that uh, ninety nine percent of Americans aren't aware of why they make.
1: And that's good advertising, right?
2: Yeah, but you know, uh, you know, you walk down. You, uh, really,
1: uh, sorry. Ninety
0: nine percent of Americans don't realize they're being sold to constantly.
2: No, that's not what I said. Oh. Not what I meant. Oh, <laughs> they don't—they don't realize why they're making the choices they make. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I have—I have an assignment I do ask my students to do. And that is, to go into the local uh, grocery store, Vons, uh, walk down the aisle, and go to the toothpaste, and look at where all the toothpaste is made. And
1: where do you think the toothpaste is made? I um, I'm I'm gonna guess Pennsylvania.
2: Yeah, no, you're close. Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, really? <laughs> it's all Procter and Gamble. Yeah. Oh. Proctor, Cincinnati, Ohio is the ultimate uh, company town. It's all P and G. Yep. And so Procter and Gamble. I'm gonna I'm going to exaggerate this. This is not entirely true, but let's exaggerate. Let's. Procter and Gamble has a big vat of toothpaste.
0: What just one? Yeah, <laughs> it all comes from. Here. I like with, the visual with, with yeah. seventy-five <laughs> outputs. Yeah. Exactly,
2: seventy-five spigots, yeah. and one spigot's got stripes, one spigot's got sparkles, mm-hmm. one spigot is nothing, yeah. and you look at it, and if you've got you've got dozens uh, of different flavors of toothpaste, basically, or just appealing to various market segments, and. <laughs> the vast majority of people have no idea why they choose the one that's red versus the one that's blue. right? And you can take that, you know, for commodities, water, the same thing. I mean, water is water. But yet we're going to give it some sizzle and uh, build a brand around it and market the bejesus out of it.
1: This is uh, one of the largest water bottling companies. Just released that, in fact, their their bottled water is just tap water. There is nothing, absolutely nothing about it that makes it. What, aqua, really? aqua, I think it's Aquafina, who's uh, uh, bottled by Pepsi Cola Company, said no, it's just tap water. We've never said it's anything else. But it's just, it's just tap water from wherever the regional bottling plant is. Yeah, so To I, your I, point. I yeah. just
2: made. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just made an investment in a new company. It's uh, it's a uh, Flint uh, Flint water. Oh oh, I've heard yeah. I've heard really good
1: things about Flint yeah. Michigan yeah. water. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah a that'll a <laughs> be a big hit.
2: It's going to be uh you know uh, I think it's going to be mineral water. But I'm yeah not sure. yeah, heavy
1: mineral water. <laughs> bet, yeah, Jeez. good lord.
0: Well that that gets me to I mean one of the things about leadership is mastering influence, right? We're always influencing people and we're doing it through advertising, we're doing it through communication, we're doing it through a lot of different sure. ways, and I think. Uh, as being visual creatures we do that through we through package design which is a big part of advertising right it's, it's like we were just looking at um arti- artisanal and craft chocolates are very big oh, sure. right yeah, now yeah. and you can go to chocolate maya here in santa barbara and just look at the wall and just look at the different approaches that people take towards basically it's pretty much the same chocolate i mean there's there's there is some difference, but at the sure. high end, it's it's all pretty delicious. But when you look at the packaging, I, I have to say I'm very affected by packaging. And when we worked with Art Center with at Wayfront, that was my favorite class to go sit and watch and see the student work. It's right. like, oh my gosh, yeah, that that completely affects everything.
2: Yeah, basically, you're just trying to differentiate a product for a particular market segment, and Um, if you go to uh, uh, Nielsen has a uh, website called PRISM P-R-I-Z-M in which they will segment by every criteria you can possibly imagine geographic, demographic uh, sociological uh, economic and um, the way you mix all those up um, it's pretty fascinating. This whole emotional market segmentation has been around for right. a while, but uh, it is today uh, the dominant uh, philosophy.
0: One of the things that, um, specifically to that in every new business um, exercise is you identify the customer avatar or who your ideal customer is, you know, and it, all the way down to his name's Bob, this is how old he is. His wife's name is Sue. He might have kids, he might not have kids. This is the, probably what he studied in school. This is the music he listens to. Detroit does this, uh, the best I've ever seen. When I was at Wayfront, we would go to the design studio and you walk into the studio and you're immersed in the culture of the person who's going to be driving that car and everybody that works on the car walks through that every day, Right. which gets
2: to they get very granular to that
0: well yeah. and, and it's suggested even to small businesses if you look at any startup like who is that customer and literally like what music do they listen to do you ever talk about that in
2: in class absolutely absolutely talk lots about uh consumer behaviors and there's enormous amounts of research on it so there's a there's a um and this is from, uh, one of the int- more interesting TED Talks I've ever seen is Malcolm Gladwell on spaghetti sauce. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. It's a good one. Uh, uh, where he just, you know, he says there's not a spaghetti sauce, there's only spaghetti sauces. And it, as obvious as that is to us now, this is a revelation for, for Prego. Um, and, uh, it, you know, you're seeing it with virtually every product that they, they segment, every product for their demographics.
1: But isn't it, that, to your earlier point when you were talking about individualism versus versus collectivism, this idea that, that in America we are very, it's a perceived individualism because we don't necessarily want to be outside the box when it comes to like, we want to feel like we're, we're, we're unique and special and, and granted with certain unique special tastes. However, we very much are attracted to movements and very much attracted to things that are that were that everybody's getting into. Oh, everybody's doing this. Everybody's trendy. doing all this. It's, it's tr- trendy, this is trending now. But but we still want to maintain our individuality <laughs> while doing what everybody else is doing.
2: Yeah, it's uh, I mean, just because we have we are high in the individual uh, individuality index doesn't mean we don't want to belong in society. Yeah. But um, in China, they actually have a specific word of subordinating self to the good of the group, huh. so that you can become more complete as part of the group. Well, that's a pretty alien concept in the United States.
1: What's it, I think it's an alien concept when it's said like that. But I think that that you know, when I watch high school kids walk down the street and they're all dressed exactly alike, it seems like they are adhering to that concept.
2: Yeah, conformity. Uh, absolutely. Um, I don't want to change the topic here, but I'm <laughs> going to.
1: Oh yeah. Good. You you have. You know. Go.
2: Uh, uh, if you take that individualism collectivism spectrum, yeah, ah. and lay it out on the political on the political spectrum, oh, it it, it accounts for the difference between the left and the right, huh. and if you just lay that out, you can explain all kinds of issues, and policies, and positions based on whether I'm committed to the, indi- whether I think the individual is sacrosanct or whether the it, society is the priority. Huh. So yeah. think about, let's, yeah. take a, let's take an issue like gun control.
1: Or like, or like the, uh, the current occupation in Oregon.
2: Yeah, current occupation in Oregon. The right, the right wants the, the rights of the individual. That's preeminent. The left is, what's important is the collective, the group, the society. So gun control... Right says, everyone has individual right to carry a gun, automatic rifle, rocket launcher, thermonuclear weapon. That's the right. Uh, The left says, what's important is the rights and concerns of society. Well, you can take that right-left spectrum, individualism, collectivism, and apply it across the board. Sounds like it. Um, And it's really interesting because I have... Of the, with my students, I have what I call the talk.
0: Oh, what's the talk? <laughs> I don't want to come in for the talk.
2: The talk is just that. You know, we put the political spectrum. And I say, you know, what's the difference between left and right? And they go, uh, progressive, conservative, you know, uh, good guys, bad guys, you know. And 99% of uh, all of us believe what our parents believe. And don't really think through that political spectrum. And what are the implications of that, and what does it mean, and how does it relate to taxation? How does it relate to the role of government? How does it relate to, you know, uh, abortion? Hmm. And it, it, it ho- absolutely holds water to analyze that political spectrum in terms of that particular criteria.
0: And left and right varies on an issue-by-issue issue basis. Well, well, I'm just. Th- I'm thinking. Uh, Getting abortion is an individual issue, and that the right is pretty against that.
2: Well, it it it, it does it does flip around a little bit. But if you think about the the right is thinking about the rights of an unborn fetus as the individual. And
0: okay, fair enough.
1: Yeah, fair enough. And the yeah, left yeah. is looking at it saying, as a culture, we cannot mandate exactly. rules against us. Yes. Yes. Okay, right. fair right. enough. taken professor
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i want to add one one other nuance to the individual uh, to this idea of um the collectivist thinking i want to be part of the group and then the i want to feel special we are in this age of um what do we call it mass customization yeah Uh, nike is a good example Uh of that um i can go in i can stand in line and buy the shoes that are have you know uh, michael jordan's name on them or i can go onto the nike site and design a custom shoe that no one in the world has except me but i'm still wearing a nike shoe right so we're when and we're it's figuring out yeah. how to do that right we're figuring right. out how do i i i want to be unique and stand out and you know we we've all always wanted to do that haven't we
2: yeah absolutely that that's a technological innovation as much as anything Uh, because, you know, the technology is there to customize that and make it cost effective. Uh, It wasn't there 15, 20 years ago. So we're doing the same thing with automobiles.
0: Well, it's the just-in-time. Right. Right. Exactly. It's now we can. It's exactly what it is. Right. I can go in and uh, you customize your Tesla, (laughs) you design the Tesla, and then it arrives. If you've got the, you know, the wherewithal to be able to do that.
2: Yeah. Well, as Gladwell says, it's the movement from universality to infinite variation. Hmm. And, ah. uh, and uh, you know who else is discovering this is uh, healthcare Yes, yeah, right. So
0: it was sorry, from university universality
2: universi- to infinite variation.
1: Is that and, now, is that speaking to the flexibility after the fact like once you've purchased the policy, the healthcare policy, you want maximum flexibility? Or you rather than in, all encompassing. Like I don't need to. I don't need it to cover this because I'm, I'm not a smoker.
2: This is way out of my. Uh, <laughs> right, let me see if <laughs> well, I but, can. No, but but one of the great revelations in cancer research is, it's not you've got cancer. It's you have your cancer.
0: Yeah, no, th- that's mm. exactly it. Mm. And and then the medicine goes in and figures out. Oh, I don't need to treat all the cells. I need to treat exactly. that exact huh. cell. And they're figuring out how to target it. So. The medicine you get is
2: specific to, to you. That's correct. Oh, wow. Right.
0: Okay. It's pretty insane what we can do
2: now. Right. But, you know, once again, you know, if you look at this, the big mega trend, it's the movement from universality to infinite variation and customization. and which
0: tech- Which brings us back to advertising, which brings us back to things like retargeting. So now when I'm seeing ads on my Facebook page, it's like, whoa, that's kind of weird that I'm seeing the shoes I
2: looked for yesterday
1: that's that just, I already bought. That's a bought. very successful algorithm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, that's...
0: I mean, that's to the point.
2: That's to the point. So uh, you and I grew up, uh, at least I did, grew up in an environment where we had three broadcast channels, ABC, CBS, NBC. And then they went color. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, <they were laughs> and Sunday nights. Right.
1: And they, were, and they were closed for business from 1 a.m. to that's you right. know, 6 a.m.
2: Right. Yep. So... Um, and that's where the term "broadcast." Broadcast is actually a, an agrarian term for spreading seeds, right? Used to broadcast, well, broadcast. Um, and so in broadcast, you used to get a little of everything, right? And uh, even before TV, the early radio stations used to get a little classical music, get a little jazz, get right. a little news, get a little soap opera mm-hmm. on the same mm-hmm. channel. Mm-hmm. Well, where are we today? Today we have, you know. We have entire radio channels devoted to a single artist, yep. and we have podcasting, and we right, have po- so I, what, exactly right. So, so
0: I can listen to a very specific kind of thing.
2: Right. So uh, the the academic term for this is called demasification, and demasification is the movement.
0: Can I buzzword bingo him on that? <laughs> he's
1: doing. It, he's explaining it. Okay. Good. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the demasification is the idea that. We are uh, taking the mass media and targeting it into individual niches. Yeah. So, right now, if you go into uh, a bookstore, if you find a bookstore, magazine store,
1: the book den located on Annapamu. <laughs> the, you
2: know, there are three magazines uh, devoted to people who take their metal detectors to the beach. Oh yeah,
1: good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three, really? three
2: separate magazines, right? Um, and so, here's the point: If I'm selling metal detectors, do I want to sell metal detectors in Time magazine, or do I want to sell metal detectors in that magazine, for a fraction of the cost? Right. So, the demasification has really been driven by advertising, right? Allowing right, right. allowing me to get to particular niches, and the ultimate form of demasification is the internet
0: and big data.
2: Yes, and absolutely. being
0: able to mine that and and there. I think the leading edge of that has got to be the political campaigns. I really think that they're, because they've got the budget to be able to finance the work that's actually getting them to the numbers so they can
1: actually, I mean, it's, it's take a look at that. Yeah. You're, you're saying like, like a candidate might speak to a very specific issue based on the fact that they've identified these very kind of like, oh, this is in this community, you know, vouchers are very specific or in this community.
0: Or it Extremely specific, more specific than we are aware of. So you're, Absol- getting an e- you're
1: getting an email from the candidate with the five things that you actually care about. Oh, very much so. And that's I right. get a different email. Exactly. Right,
0: right. Exactly. And that's all driven on budget. And that's where the, I mean, all the money that's raised for politics is all for advertising. It's in buying, buying this data right. and then getting the message out to the exact person. Because they can't, they've got a, they can't broadcast. They need to narrow cast and they need to. Right. Personalize that.
2: My, my, one of my theories is um, that what has driven the political acrimony in this country um, is what I call information hedonism. Hmm. And once again, if you go back, you roll it back to a broadcast environment. We had to listen to all kinds of points of view. Right. Some you agreed with. Some right. you disagreed right. with. Right. Some you thought were inane. But at least you had to listen to them. Now, I can pre-select, and I do pre-select only those sources and channels that reinforce my existing biases. Mm-hmm. So, information hedonism allows us not to expose ourselves or even think about it's a alternative A diversity points. of ideas. Right.
0: We had a professor from Kalu in here a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about a book called *The Big Sort*, which is how we pre-sort to, to exactly to your point. Yeah. And I was listening to. Uh, a podcast recently where someone was saying they um instead of unfriending or unfollowing people that had these wildly diverse views it's like this stuff's showing up on my wall i don't want to see this actually encouraging that just to get a little bit of diversity of opinion interesting which is just interesting yeah. guy um unfortunately another 45 minutes has just escaped us kaboom just like that.
2: Oh, it went fast.
0: Yeah, it. Um, <laughs> we only go fast here. Yeah, <laughs> one speed. We fast, um, and we come to the part of the show that um, is my favorite part, which is we've had this great conversation. We we've, we've gone and we we talked a little bit about what you've done, but we talked about what you're doing and where we're going. And so we've talked about so many different things, and we know that the listener, the new listener, who's looking through a list of you know fifty. Plus titles and trying to figure out which one of these to listen to first, wants to select that really intriguing and compelling subject line. So the question is, what do we call this episode?
2: You get first dibs. Advertising and art. Okay, why not?
0: See. Notice listener how he did that so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes there is a there is a uncomfortable silence. <laughs> Uh, which I actually like a lot.
1: Followed sir. by a protest. I, you know, <laughs> a, a, a,
2: a point I want to make, uh, and I realize we're almost out of time, is that I th- I think that advertising is one of the highest forms of art in our culture today.
0: Could not agree with you more. Yeah. It's, uh, if Spectacular. You look at,
2: if you look at the storytelling capabilities in a 30-second spot, nobody does it better. Well, uh, I'll go back and to— as a, fact, as a matter of fact, I just had—this week I had Andy Davis into my class. Yeah. Uh, who's the director of uh, the Fugitive and Holes, uh, The Guardian, yeah, Perfect Murder, uh, uh, and Under was, Siege, and uh, be, because he got to start as a uh, action film director in advertising, as did and he, he was telling me that's a very well worn path, you know. Ridley Scott goes on, sure, uh, sure, sure. People who's um, major uh, feature film people got to start in advertising, but. As an art form, it's not, yeah, and it's also you know nothing is more polished than advertising.
0: Well, it's how do I you know how do you tell that succinct story in fifteen seconds?
2: Right, or or, or six seconds. Or with a print ad, there's right. a story there. Right, there, there's a story there.
0: And I think we'll we'll leave it on that, Guy. Thank you so much. Well, um, it has been fun. I, I do want to tell the listeners uh, if they want a little bit of eight hundred five trivia that um, it was you and I who sat down and. Had that first meeting. It's now three, almost three and a half years ago where the idea of doing 805 Connect was born. Wow. Yeah. And you were the one who, who uh, i got to give you props for being my co-conspirator on that. So thank you very much. All right.
2: Well, it's, it's, I'm glad it's
0: been so successful. Well, look it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we've got a, a great podcast, a great group of people throughout the whole 805 listening and you know, working towards economic vitality in the region, which is what this is all about.
2: Well, thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, we appreciate it, and um, I'm going to put in the show notes ways to get a hold of you. And I want to thank also California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services, our podcasting partner, Pullstring Press. And I love this studio; it is just uh, I feel more comfortable in here every week. Uh, and CLO24, who provides the searchable captions for our show. The 805 project is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. I want to thank them as well. If you'd like to find more information about 805, go to 805connect.com and Patrick how could someone help us in in the show itself
1: well we we don't really focus on this enough but i really you just mentioned 805connect.com and 805connect.com is a very active environment and community and uh, i would say that that we need to cross pollinate a little bit so take the action go to 805connect.com sign up become a member and a partner inside of uh, that organization and then start that conversation about hey how did you find this place listening to this podcast. And that kind of back and forth uh, conversation can do nothing but help everybody involved.
0: I love that. I also love to hear from you personally. Uh, I run into people all the time, listeners who tell, tell us, give us good feedback and uh, constructive criticism on how to make the show better. Thank you for that. If you'd like to drop us a note, send it to mark at 805connect.com. Let me know what you like about the show or how we can make it better. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.